I'm living by faith, and I feel no alarm. Pretty appropriate song for us to sing this evening as we think about what the early Christians were going through here in the book of 1 Peter. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be opening up to 1 Peter chapter 1. You'll remember we began to talk last week about our brethren in, in, in this book as people who were struggling. Uh, they, they, they had trials in their life, and, and we could think about those trials, and, and no doubt we can relate to those trials, right? We all have trials. We all have things that are, are threatening us and even threatening our faith. But, but, but their trials were, were of a certain degree that what they were really struggling with was the fact that they were keeping their faith. They were doing the things that, that they believed that God wanted them to do, and they were still struggling. It still felt like they were being punished. Some of us have suffered because we have, um, what does the Bible said? We have uh, sown to the wind and reaped the whirlwind. Uh, we, we, we've probably done that in our, in our lives, right? And, and there's, a, there's a certain degree that we understand, well, I'm having to endure this because of what I did. And I, I mean, I enjoy it, but I can understand that. But, but what about when all I did was serve God? I mean, I legitimately feel like I've been trying to do what God wants me to do, but yet, but yet these struggles and these trials keep piling up upon me. And Peter began this book in, in the first chapter by saying, I want you to focus on something. The, 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 the real question in my mind is how often I actually choose to focus on this. Someone comes to me with a, with a problem, situation, a struggle in life. It could be one of a member of the church. It could be a friend. It, it, could, it could be someone in my own household. And you know what I immediately start doing? Anybody know? What's that? Pray, pray for them. You would hope that. No, that's no. Uh, you overestimate me once again, right? I wish. I wish that the answer was, well, I don't know, but let us pray. I, that, that's not what I do. Um, I immediately, probably before they even finish describing to me the, the struggles of their life, I begin formulating a battle plan. Right? This is, this is what we're dealing with. This is how we're going to fix it, or at least we're going to try to fix this thing. And, and I, you know, my wife, my wife would probably speak even more to this. You know, in, in, we, uh, we went through this marriage counseling thing once, and, and someone made, made, this made this suggestion that sometimes you just need to look at your husband as you're going about to tell them something and say, I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to listen. Huh, what a novel idea. I don't know why we're talking about it if you don't want me to fix it, but okay. Uh, and then we'll, we'll go forward from that. I, some of that stuff in the marriage, it happens in, in, in our spiritual lives too. What Peter tells them is, I just want you to focus in on your salvation. Like, so, I mean, is, is, is our issue about dealing with sin in our own life? Nope, that, that's not. We're, we're talking about what other people are doing to you. And what I want you to focus in on is your own salvation that you have from God. I just really don't know how often that's my answer. But that's exactly what he tells them, right? And we talked about this last week. He says, 
He says even that we're protected by the power of God through faith for for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, For in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. You're being distressed by various trials. You fill in the blank on that in your own life. We'll try to fill in the blank a little bit in their life. And Paul, or Peter says, I want you to, instead of focusing on that, I want you to rejoice in this salvation that is about to be revealed. I know that you're, that you're going through the, these things for a little while. You've been distressed by these various trials. What I want you to focus on is, is your own salvation. Isn't it great to be a Christian? I think there was a good part of my life where I almost viewed that as a, as kind of a cheesy thing to say. I almost viewed that as that, that's kind of stuff like, like the preacher is supposed to put a big smile. Isn't it great to be a Christian? Like you've seen like the, the, the mold. I just, I didn't say things like that. And I hear Peter, that's exactly what he's saying in the midst of whatever's going on. Isn't it great to be a Christian? We can talk about bad news, bad news, bad news, stress, stress, distress, all these things that are going on in the middle of it. But you know what? but I'm a Christian. You know what? I have a Father in heaven. Do you know what? I have a home that is waiting for me. Do you know what? Jesus Christ died for me, and nobody can take that away. He's telling them, I want you to focus on these things, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. Isn't that what it feels like sometimes? I'm being tested by fire. Like this is, I mean, if if it doesn't make me stronger, it very well may kill me, right? I mean, it just kind of feels that way. But but, but as you go through these things, what what it really does is it builds you up. Some some of the, the most difficult things I've gone through in my life have also been the things in my life that have forced me to grow in my faith when I don't know if if other things would have gotten my attention. That they have caused me to be keenly aware of my identity in Christ. And whether that was something I was going to hold on to, or whether that was something I was going to jettison. To keep me from taking those things for granted. That they may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you rejoice, you, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy. I'm just telling you, I want to be a person who rejoices in my salvation in Jesus Christ in a way that is inexpressible and full of joy. I, I get it. I get it that it's inexpressible. And the reason I get it is because I, I, I fail to, to find the words. I like words right? I, li- I like to put words together. I make, I make, 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 make uh. y'all like that? The irony of what I'm doing there, right? But, but this idea of, I don't have the words to really encompass my relationship with God. But even in the midst of that, I have joy. I have joy in this thing that I can't even express Obtaining as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And so if I could put into a nutshell what he's been saying here, and we, I know we could unpack these verses more, but, but to say, 
I want you to focus on your salvation. If you're looking for things to, to think about or to talk about in your own personal devotions or in your family worship time, what, what, what a great thing just to, just to spend some time talking about our salvation, to rejoice in those things, to talk about how that impacts our life and the confidence that that, that ought to bring us in our lives. We as a people, I think, are desperate to focus less on the things of the world that tend to distract and to divide and more upon our salvation that unify and build us up. For some reason, we tend to take it for granted. Has anyone ever taken their salvation for granted? Anyone? Anyone ever assumed that, anyone ever had good intentions that one day you were going to grow up? One day I'm going to get serious about my walk with the Lord. One day I'm going to repent of those things. And we do that because, because guess what? Guess what's coming at the end of this lesson? An invitation, right? And guess what's coming, guess what's coming at the end of, of the devotion on Wednesday night? An invitation. And next Sunday, an invitation, an invitation. And if you're not here for that, guess what? Guess what's available to us at 2.30 in the morning this very night? The Lord's invitation. It's always open, right? So sometimes we, we just assume that it's going to be there. Much in the same way that we at times can assume that certain people will always be there only to come to that realization at one point or another that they're not there anymore. And we realize, man, I took that for granted. There are some things that I, I wish, if I could go back, I, I wish I could have that conversation with, with my grandfather. I, I wish I could have that conversation with my wife or with my children. But I took it for granted because I just had it every day until I didn't have it. Let's not be people that do that with our salvation. Well, well how, how do we awaken ourselves? Well, he's going to give us some of this. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to, to, to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. And so it's a mouthful about some stuff that we don't know much about, right? But, but he speaks of our salvation. How many Christians do we have here tonight? How many people have a home in heaven? Listen, if you don't raise your hand, then meet me up here to talk afterwards because Jesus Christ died so that you could, and he died so that you could and so that you could have confidence in that fact. This is the reality. But to understand that before Jesus came onto the scene, that there are thousands of years of history. When our, I think it was our three- and four-year-old class that here a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about the things that they're learning in their class, and they talked about the story of the Bible. You remember where it started off? Jesus, 
What is it? It's coming. Jesus is coming. Right? In, 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 our, in our high school class, you, you remember we talked about the kingdom just a few weeks ago, and we talked about all of the scriptures of the prophets and, and, and how they point towards the beginning of the church in Acts 2, right? Something is coming. All the way to the kingdom is at hand. But as they pointed that something is coming, they, they, they didn't understand exactly what was coming or when it was coming. They knew the things that they were saying were true, but they didn't know how the story plays out. Now, for us, we have the advantage of knowing how the story plays out. And sometimes, sometimes that can become very, I don't know if I want to use the word boring, but it's something we can take for granted. Anybody ever seen the movie, The The Sixth Sense? You guys remember that M. Night Shyamalan movie? This little boy, and he's saying, you know, I see dead people. Anybody see that? It's, it was, I, I remember the first time I watched that, it was like, edge of my seat, what in the world is going on here? And you get to the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, it's a little late, so I don't think it calls it as a spoiler. But the truth is, he's actually dead. That's the reason that he you know, has, right? Now, I saw that movie on uh, maybe about three or four months ago, and I started to watch it, it's incredibly boring when you know the ending, right? It's like, well, of course you do because you're, I mean, it's just like, it, it wasn't nearly as interesting because you don't know what's about to happen. Well, all these problems, we, we're standing here, we know how this plays out, right? Not only is, 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 is Jesus coming, but Jesus came and then, oh, by the way, he's coming again. I can tell you about his whole life. But, but, but when they prophesied these things of this kingdom to come and this Messiah that, that was to come, who would be the Savior of the world, after the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come, they made search and inquiry. Like, what exactly is this going to look like? You, you remember when, uh, when, when, uh, when, the, when the wise men came and they wanted to know about, about Jesus and where is this Jesus going to be born? And they said, oh, in Bethlehem. How in the world did they know that where Jesus was going to be born? Well, because the prophets talked about Bethlehem. The prophet Micah, I think it's Micah 4, where, where, where he gives this prophecy. And I don't know when the last time you read the, the prophet Micah was, but, but they knew what that, that's what the prophecy said, right? I don't know when, I don't, but it, it's going to be in Bethlehem, so you, you go and look there. And all these prophecies, when is this going to take place? They're searching the Scriptures. Do you know why? They're very interested. They're very interested in this idea of a Messiah. You know who's really interested in the idea of a Messiah? The person who knows that they're lost without one. Right? Right? Most of you ladies have not, you know, you've not been on the prowl for a good husband in quite some time. Right? Rebecca, why not? Why have you not been on the prowl for a good husband? She says, because I got one, right? I won't call his name, embarrass him, but I mean, she's like, I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm good, right? And, but other ladies are out there like, you know what? I want to find this type of, it's the same thing with, with, I think when we talk about Jesus, sometimes we take for granted, well, of course, I mean, we have Jesus. Jesus loves us. Why wouldn't he love me? And he died on the cross and, and we can answer the invitation anytime you want. And the invitation is always there, but they're sitting there saying, okay, I know that God has said this is coming, but I don't even know when. 
And so I'm searching the scriptures to figure out these things, seeking to know what person, what time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Well, I mean, this whole, this whole suffering servant thing of Isaiah, like what, what does that even look like? I can't even comprehend these things. When is it going to happen? You know, they're constantly looking for, for the Christ, for the Messiah. There were even false, false messiahs that, that would come up along the way. So, so they're looking for them. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. So all I really knew is that I'm preaching these things about these things that are going to come. It's a little bit different from the second coming because, because there's a real possibility that the second coming could be within my lifetime. But he says of the prophets, it was revealed to them, this is not about you. This is about your children or your grandchildren or your great grand. It's in the future. Okay, but when? When in, in, in the future? Uh, that, that's what they're wanting to know, but that, that it's not revealed. These things, the, these things which have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven, right? We know these things. This is not rocket science. We have a salvation. We have a home in heaven. Well, of course we do. This is the church. Back to verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets, the prophets who prophesied of that grace, they sought to seek to know about these things. Even, even, even to the point where he says, these things which angels long to look. Now, now, there's a lot about the spiritual world that, that we don't understand. We've talked about this before, but, but throughout the Bible, we're given these glimpses, right, In, into the spiritual world that is around us, even the world of angels and demons, and we know some things about it. I don't have perfect knowledge about it. I guess I don't have perfect knowledge about anything, but I don't have even the depth of knowledge I have about our world. But, but we do know that, that angels were these, well, they were beings that were created, just, just like you and me. They, they, they were created by God. The, the psalmist in Psalm 148 talks about this um, in, in depth. Colossians 1 and verse 18 says, For by him all things were created, things that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. We, we know that we know there's something very different about that eternal realm. Remember what Jesus says there in Luke 20 when he talks about he talks about angels and remember the person asked this really weird question about marriage and divorce and remarriage and you know this man's been married all these times and whose wife is he and, and Jesus says, well first off, I mean I can answer your question, but your problem is you don't know the first thing about the heavenly realms, right? For the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given, nor for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels. Like I, I, I don't, and once again, it, it tells me that the heavenly existence is much different from the earthly existence. Can you, can you picture that day, right? Where one day Mr. Paul is going to go to heaven and Miss Hazel is going to go to heaven, and they're both going to be in heaven, and they're not going to be married. What? Does that mean they won't know each other? No, I think they'll know each other. 
I mean, I, you, you can't even comprehend that, right? I mean, even Amy did say that there's not going to be something missing there. Like that just tells me the heavenly existence is very different from this existence, right? That, 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 that's what he's talking about with these angels, but also that, well, that they, they will exist beyond this earthly realm. That they're more than just God's messengers in this world. As a matter of fact, apparently a very true reality is angels can sin. And because angels can sin, or demons can sin, spiritual beings can sin, th- th- there is punishment associated with that. You remember when um, Jesus came up to uh, the, the man who was demon-possessed? The, the Legion, what was his name or was their name? And you remember the, the first thing he said there in Matthew 8 and verse 9? What have we to do with you, Jesus, the Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I mean, there, there's this understanding that, okay, punishment is coming. And I don't know when it is, but I don't think it's yet. But they had this understanding that they had done something and they were going to be punished for it. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 48, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels. In 2 Peter, he's going to talk about Tartarus, right? That place of torment. 2 Peter 2 and verse, and verse 6 if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and to deliver them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. You get this picture? I mean, at some point, they're going to be punished because of their sin. Jude 6 tells us, And the angels who do not keep their proper do- domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So they understand something about sin and punishment. And Peter in particular is making this argument that don't think that God won't punish sin because, well, we know he's going to punish even the angels or even these demons, uh, depending on, on how you want to look at those spiritual beings. That's the reality for an angel. It's, it's also the reality for, for an individual, for you and for me as created beings. But there's, but there's a big difference. There's a big difference in, in you and an angel. See, every one of us have heard sermons about heaven and hell. The idea of redemption. We, we talk about those things. It's, it's, it's the centerpiece of, of who we are. The big difference is there's never any indication in the text that these angels will be given an opportunity to be forgiven. It just doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, if you look over in the book of Hebrews, remember Hebrews, those doing lands of leaders, is all about how Jesus is better and this new covenant is better and how they ought to walk with Jesus. And in um, Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 16, for surely he does not give help to the angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. What does that mean? He doesn't give help to the angels, but he gives his help to the descendants of Abraham. See, that's a different relationship, right? I don't know about you, but this kind of seems to rub me the wrong way, right? The idea that anyone couldn't be forgiven of their sins. 
it's why we struggle with grace, because once again, we take grace for granted. Of course, God has to be graceful. God doesn't have to be graceful. God owes us nothing. God doesn't owe us Jesus on the cross. He doesn't owe us forgiveness. He, do, he doesn't owe us a transformed life. He doesn't owe us any of that. He gives it to us in spite of what we deserve. That's grace. But I struggle to be amazed at grace because I think, well, of course, God's going to give me grace. And if he doesn't give me grace, then I'm going to be upset. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the, the, the teacher who gives bonus points all the time and somebody, they come to expect the bonus points, right? Well, of course, you give us 10 points extra on every test. And the first time that you don't, well, you didn't. Why? I, I don't owe you those things. You were actually taking them for granted. So it seems to be this picture that there are these, there are these beings who have sinned and they're going to be judged for those things. They're going to be judged for those things, but there's no opportunity to make those things right. There's, there's, as much as we struggle to humble ourselves, there's no opportunity, it would seem, for them to be forgiven. There's no plan of salvation. There's no repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It just doesn't exist for, for there. And that, that may be something for us to think about, but, but in terms of what I see revealed in, in the text... That seems to be what is implied there. Now, why, why is he telling us about this? He's telling us about this because he's saying, I want you to appreciate what you do have. I want you to focus and be amazed at your own salvation. That thing that seems so simple to us. Well, you can be right with God. Well, there's going to be an invitation well, you can have your sins washed away. Well, listen, I don't care who you are, how far you've gone. If you're willing to return to the Lord, you can return to the Lord. We, we, do we understand how amazing those statements are? Because here he says, there have been people, there have been prophets, great men of God, all throughout the centuries who have, who have tried to figure out, man, what is that? How does that work? When is that going to happen? There are beings that have been created who have sinned just as we have sinned, but it would seem that God gives them no assistance. They simply will get what they deserve. And I'm just going to tell you, when you focus on those things, and then you say, well, I know what I deserve, and I know what's been revealed to me, does it change the way that I feel about those things? Does it give me joy to say, man, who am I? To be honored in a way, you know, it's, it's like the psalmist says, what is man that you would be mindful of him? Why would God care about me, little old me, right? Sitting down here on the planet Earth and this little giant blueberry that, that we live on. Why, why, why would God care about me here in Valdosta, Georgia? I, I don't know the answer to that. But I'm eternally grateful that he does. And that's what he's saying to these people who are in the midst of struggle, in the midst of turmoil and strife and uh, various trials, is what he says there in verse 6. He says, I just want you to focus in on your own salvation. And here's, here's the deal. When you do that, it will enable you to endure He'll go on in this chapter to say, when you do that, it will change the life that you live. It will change your reaction 
to the things around you. And we'll talk some more about that. We'll talk some more about that as we progress and finish off this chapter in a few weeks. But I guess just for right now, I want you to think, I want you to think about times that you've responded to God's invitation. But maybe it's times that you've walked down the aisle or, or, or maybe... Maybe it was a phone call in the middle of the night to be immersed into Christ. Or maybe it was a time you hit your knees and, and you just drew a line in the sand and, and pleaded for God's forgiveness. Aren't those great moments? Aren't they? I mean, I think it's one of the things that we, we love and we'll miss this year about even our Yes Weekend are, are the responses uh, of people that are just bearing their souls before the Lord. So that this morning we appreciate those things even amongst our own myths. I probably haven't responded publicly many times in my life. Uh, I've responded to the Lord, well, almost on a weekly basis, I suppose, throughout my life. But, but publicly, if I could just think about that for just a minute, it's been a rare occasion. I remember, I remember a Sunday night when I was around 15 years old, and, and I decided I wanted to become a Christian. One of my sins to be washed away. I was terrified of going to hell, to be quite honest. And a lot of room for growth in my, in my spiritual walk. But, but I was, you, you couldn't have kept me from going down that aisle on that Sunday night. Born again on that night, right? I remember, I remember the preacher, uh, Pat Hogan. He's passed on now, but I still remember what he told me. He said, and I was a 15-year-old teenage boy. He said, Wes, if you won't cry, I won't either. And I remember thinking, what are you crying for, man? This... <laughs> I'm ready to go. I mean, it was, a, it was a big deal. I remember when I was 17 years old, walking down uh, one of the auditorium aisles at Harding University and just realizing I needed, I needed to commit myself to walking with the Lord. It's when I decided I wanted to be a preacher of the gospel. And, and I, had no, I had no clue what that meant, right? But I just knew the desire within my heart and, and that I had been neglecting some things in my life. What if I hadn't been able to do that? What if in that moment when you came face to face with your sin or your shortcoming or, 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 or your lack of relationship with God and you did something about it? You remember, the, you remember doing that in your life? You, you, everybody remember the, those moments? What if in that moment there had been no invitation? There was no way to be born again. You had done the crime and now it was time for your penalty. It's, it's a rather depressing thought, isn't it? And Peter says, okay, I know you're going through struggles in your life, but I want you to focus on the grandness that on that day, there was an invitation. You do have a salvation you do have a home in heaven. And when you rejoice in those things, it doesn't make your problems go away. Christians have as many or maybe more problems than other people, but it enables you to put everything into perspective. That's a great word we're going to talk about as we continue in this book. But perspective, perspective is what he's trying to give them. And I think perspective is what he's trying to give us. May we focus on our salvation that is reserved in heaven for us. 
that is ready to be revealed at the last time. May we rejoice with joy. I had some bad days, but I didn't lose my soul over those days. I've done some dumb stuff, but I didn't lose my soul in those days. I've, I've come up short for words and wisdom, but no one can take away my salvation unless I give it away. And that's a great, great news. I don't even know if good news is a, good, a big enough word, right? It's a great news. That's the gospel. Dwell on these things. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you don't feel that, he talks about a feel, right? A joy, an expressible joy. Then come walk with the Lord. Come grow in your faith. Come be born again. Come repent of sins. Come strive for what He wants us to be in our life. And it will change our life. That was true when Peter wrote to to Christians who were struggling then, and it's true when he writes to Christians who are struggling today. You just need to come as the invitation is given one more time in your life. You come tonight as we stand and as we sing.